Hi everybody, welcome back. This is Joni Stahl. Hope everybody's having a good day or a good evening, again, depending on when you're listening to this. I'm glad to be back. It was a long weekend and I'm weekended out. <laughs> How much weekend can a person need? I know some people might say, I can use more weekend. But for me, I'm just glad to be here. This is my favorite place to be. So I want to begin by thanking everybody who supports this ministry. I just want to welcome all my new subscribers to what I refer to as the Little Green Pasture and to welcome you to fellowship in the comments section. There's so many beautiful people that get involved and talk. I mean, we have grown into such a community of lovers of God and we just love Jesus so much. So please get involved in the comment section. I keep it a very safe place. Um, all comments are approved because I don't trust, you know, a lot of people. I mean, well, you know how bad that can get. So I won't go any further than that. So I keep it safe so everybody can share in safety. And it's it's been really, really a good thing. So get involved. And I also want to thank you to... Uh, all my new Patreon subscribers. I just really want to thank you for all your support. You know, so many of you have been with me since the very beginning. So many have of you have been with me as subscribers from the very beginning. And But all the new people, I just want to welcome you into this little flock that belongs to Jesus Christ. I'm only... I'm only here because the Lord put it in my heart to be here. So I find it great joy to serve the shepherd in pouring out living water to his sheep and his lambs. So anyways, I'm going to get going. Um, I want to just, I just have a message. I want to just speak and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time uh, doing anything else except for talking to you about some things that I really, really prayed about. And I asked God to give me a message. And I even looked this way and I looked that way and I checked here and I checked there and I went through notes and every single time the Lord brought it back to me and brought it back to me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for another day to rejoice in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just thank you so much. And I know that who is ever listening, Lord, that they are rejoicing with us. I also know that many people, Lord, they are thirsty, they are hungry, and they need a word from you. They need encouragement from you. Lord, I ask you to touch their hearts today. I ask that you dwell with us today. I ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, to open up their hearing to hear your voice and not mine. And that you would open up their understanding, that you would open up their hearts just as there is an open door in heaven. And Lord, we ask you, I ask you to touch my heart and to consecrate me and this message, for I commit it to you, Jesus. I do it unto you. I'm only human, so I lean completely on you. Though I have a few notes and some scriptures, you're free to speak to me. And like you said, as the rivers of water, that you that you uh, change and turn different ways. So you do to the heart of kings. So I pray and ask that you have your way with me. To God be the glory. I am your servant and your friend. 
and let your blessing be upon the people for thy name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, you know, recently uh, I did a little Bible study uh, to a little group of people in Pakistan, and it was such a blessing. It was the first time I did it. You guys know about that. I told you, and if you're new to this, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, I was invited to do a little Bible study. And it looks like, I just want to let you know, it looks like I'll be doing it every Saturday, the Lord willing. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. That's how it goes. Um, and I've been invited once a month to do a larger group. So keep me in your prayers for that because this has been really new ground for me, you know, and there is that open door in heaven for me. And there's one that's open for you to serve Christ. And it may be things that you never imagined that you can do. And my determination today is to get your eyes off of yourself, to stop looking at yourself, to get away from introspection and to put your full trust in the Lord concerning spiritual things as you live in the natural. And, you know, my, my heart really, just before I get started here, I just want to freely say to you, you know, every time that I'm here, there's the in-between days. And I find myself all the time saying to them, Lord, I said, what means more to me than anything is to get their eyes off themselves, off this world, off the rigid way, the the beaten path, the the broad path they may not even know that they're on. And to encourage them to live while they're here by their spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to live in the other world. And that's what in my heart, my my own heart, that's what I want for you. And I believe, moreover, that's what Christ wants for you. You know, I want to talk about that uh, group that I was talking to. As I understand, there were some that... Uh, they all are born again Christians and there were some that are very young in the faith. And then there was maybe a couple here or there that had Bibles of their own. And so they had more understanding. They were a little bit older in the faith. And that brought me back to a time that I was teaching Sunday school years ago. And I had this small group. It was a startup church and they needed someone to teach Bible study. And so I was like, okay, so I, I was happy to do it. So it wasn't like, okay, I was like, no, I'll do it. Because it's, there's something about me, I think it's so childlike, it's very natural for me and very easy to talk to children because I talk to them exactly as I'm talking to you. I don't have a different language for them as I do for you and you for them. As I mean, there might be some differences, but the things I say to them, just as you hear me talk to you every time I'm here, that's how I look at them and that's how I talk to them. And they respond to that. And there was because it was a startup church, I had, there was one time I had like, I think 11 children, 14 children. I think it grew to like 14 kids. It was little, but I don't care. It's not about numbers. It's never about numbers. You never know whose life you're going to touch from a baby. I had little ones from the age of like, say five, all the way up to, I think there was one 14 year old and he would just be sitting there like this, like, come on, right? Like I've been stuck with the babies. And then there was little ones going, yay. You know, there was ones in the middle who were just kind of looking like that, like, 
And I really tried to teach them. You know, I was like, how am I going to teach them? I have a 14-year-old here. It goes all the way down to five-year-olds. And I enjoyed the ages because if you're my age and you're an adult, obviously you remember being those ages and they were coming from different backgrounds. And so there were different ages and it was such a uh, challenge. So what I started to do is I started to, I really prayed it about, I said, Lord, how do I get through to them? Because when I look at the older ones, I'm like, okay, I would be teaching them say about John the Baptist and the little ones would be off over here. Like, what is she talking about? So the Lord gave me this little talent of drawing. So I would take a lesson and I would create little cartoon boxes and I would draw pictures of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. Then the next one would be Jesus coming out of the water and so forth. Right. So what, and then I'd have words with scriptures. So what the babies couldn't read, they can see. And what the babies couldn't understand, the older ones were understanding. And the middle ones could partake in both. Well, this really, I believe, trained me. Um, I think that everybody has a special quality in themselves when it comes to sharing the gospel. And, you know, I want to talk about the sharing of the gospel today because so many people think, I, I, I want to say it this way. So many people have been ruined. So many people have been ingrained to look so much at a method that they've methoded. I know that's not a word. They methoded God out of it completely. And so they're, they're, they're trying to be, have you ever tried, come on, let's all face it. Let's be real. Have you ever tried to be somebody that you're not? How long did that last? How did that work for you? I remember trying to be somebody I wasn't like in my high school years, maybe in my twenties. And what a flop, you know what I mean? But something always in me pushed to be, to be real. Like I was not a person that ran with the crowd. I was never a crowd running person. Um, but something in me wanted to be authentic in just my life, not just with the Lord, but in the way I, I wanted to know Christ for myself. I wanted to hear him for myself. I wanted, and I, I mean, if my mother was here, she would tell you, Joni wanted to do everything by herself. Like I was probably a little hard to raise because I was just, I just had such a, an alive spirit, you know? And uh, so I want to talk to you today because there's so many of you that say, you know, I'm, they, they use words like, well, I don't feel qualified or I don't know enough. And I want to ask you this question. I mean, I know I've talked about this with you guys before, but it bears repeating. And trust me, I've prayed. I prayed for days about this message. Even before I got here, I said, Lord, if you want to change it up, feel totally free. But I don't have that. I don't have that check in my spirit to do it. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you, whatever degree you are in reading the word or hearing the word, because you can hear a word, the word, and remember it. Have you talked to a person or two people, someone? And you say something about the Lord, maybe two words, 10 words, maybe talk five minutes. And as soon as they leave, you go, I feel so lame. I feel so stupid. I feel like everything I said, just like, I, I just feel so 
like it was so dumb, like I said it in such a dumb way. I mean, come on, we've all been there. I remember doing that even still. Yes, even still. And I believe, see, when I teach you guys and share with you, I got to taste it myself. I got I to gotta taste and see myself because it's a taste and see. And sometimes I'll do these messages and then I'll think, oh, oh man, you know, I wish I was a little bit more eloquent. I wish I was a little more this. I wish I was less than that. Next thing you know, my eyes are so focused on me, on myself, that I have to wake myself up and go, what do you think you're doing? You're no expert. Nobody expects you to give an expert uh, exposition of the word. You know, isn't that what we do? I don't think we realize how introspective we really are. And that those of us who read the word, so, so many of us who read the word, we're so full of the word that we, we, I don't know what we expect from ourselves, but I think we expect some kind of an illogical perfection that we set up some kind of an inward standard to reach the lost. To be ready to give an answer in season to them that are weary. To, do, to be instant in season, out of season. Able to teach all those things, all those verses. And then as soon as we do one thing, we whip ourselves for it and go, man, I don't know how anybody's ever going to, I don't think I can ever lead anybody to the Lord. Look, I think we got it so wrong. You know, I didn't even think of using the scripture, but I thought of 2 Corinthians and it went boing right into my head. And I was just sitting there thinking about it. How all of us do that. We think that we better not say something because we're going to probably say it wrong. Or if we're going to say it, we said it, but we didn't say it. We're going to, oh no, you know, there's people that read only this version of the Bible and they're going to go, I don't, I'm not all about that. I'm not King James only. You know what I mean? You know that that attitude that it's become a religious society where people go, oh, I know, I know. And it's it seems very difficult. So people are not really ready to receive anymore. And I think we put so much heavy guilt on ourselves that we guilt and shame ourselves out of the arena. And that's not from God. Let me tell you. If that's happening to you, as sometimes it happens to me, I have to really check myself and say, what are you doing? That's not from the Lord. Satan's condemning you and you're even condemning yourself. And maybe you're condemning yourself and then the enemy take piggybacks on that. And now he's empowering your own thoughts towards yourself. I'm not saying he hears what you say. He doesn't have to. He just needs to look at your face. Not to mention the enemy knows all about you, what you think about yourself how you have low self-esteem, how he hears your conversations that you have with the Lord in prayer, conversations with your friends, even words you're speaking to yourself or you're alone. Lord, I wish I knew how to speak better. You don't think the enemy jumps all over that? And then what happens when that happens? It's a slow downward spiral to unbelief. 
It really does. You go into a cold, shadowy unbelief. Well, I'll just stay in my corner. And listen, I know there's many of you that don't have an outlet to share to people. And But just, just listen to this and know that God knows that you don't have an outlet to share with people. And I know that you understand that there's other gifts that you have called prayer. And those not that's not a secondary gift. That's not, you know how we hear, um, well, you know, you can always pray. Okay. When I hear that, I want to go crazy doing, I want to snap and go crazy and just do backflips screaming that's insanity. Because you see the work, the real work is prayer. I don't just show up here with the lesson. Paul the Apostle, the great Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, which meant contender. It meant, I think it meant the big one, something about being big. He says, and I, brethren, when I first came to you, I did not... I, I did not come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Look, of all people to say this, the eloquent orator, the zealous Saul of Tarsus, anytime he could have peeled off something powerful from one of the 613 laws and all the other uh you know, books that came with it that just, you know, that were like, what do you call it? They're like, um, you know, commentaries. They had their own commentaries. But he didn't because when Saul of Tarsus was born again, he never wanted to touch that ever again. He never wanted to touch that ever again. You know, I, I, I looked at the Amplified Version and it said, and when I came to you, brothers and sisters, proclaiming to you the testimony of God concerning salvation through Christ, I did not come with superiority of speech, no lofty words of eloquence or philosophy as a Greek orator might do. For I made the decision to know nothing, that is, to forego philosophical or theological discussions regarding inconsequential things and opinions while among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified and the meaning of his redemptive substitutionary death and his resurrection. I came to you in a state of weakness and fear and great trembling. I saw another uh, translation. It said great fear, great fear. The, the, the murderous Saul of Tarsus breathing out threatenings. I could just see him shaking his fist and even cursing. And he's great fear, great trembling. He said, my message and my preaching were not in the persuasive words of wisdom using clever rhetoric, but they were delivered in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit operating through me and of his power 
stirring the minds of the listeners and persuading them so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom and rhetoric of men, but on the power of God. Wow. The great Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul, the little one who said, because I, you know, I, I want to talk about that just for a little, because he made a choice. He said he was determined, but the Amplified says, I, I chose to know nothing. Because you see, right after we read about him in Acts, he's being, he's all of a sudden with Barnabas. And then Barnabas brings him among the people. And people are like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? You brought him? They were probably scared to death. So seeing their faces of fear, could you imagine how that made him feel? I guarantee you they weren't like, oh my gosh, it's so good that you're joining our fellowship. They weren't doing that. Could you imagine having everybody look at you in fear, not really believing that you really are saved, afraid that you're with them? They feared him. And I believe that he, I, I, I just believe that he was, and this is just my own thinking, but I really thought about it. I thought that must have really affected him. That he wanted to identify with them. You know, I know he didn't have to prove anything to everybody, but in a sense, he kind of did. He had to humble himself. He did. He had to humble himself. I mean, haven't you ever been to a Bible study where you, come on, let's face it. We've been to different kinds of Bible studies. And sometimes maybe you might know more than the teacher. But notice when you say something, everybody goes, hmm. You know, okay, we got to know it all. And you're like, oh my gosh, I am so not a know-it-all. I was just excited to share this, right? And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to say, look, I'm going to shave it all off. And I believe, he said, when I came, when I first came, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed unto you the testimony about God. For I resolved, I determined, I chose, I chose it to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified his salvation, ancient redemption plan for you. I mean, this man said, I came unto you with, with weakness and great fear and trembling. Sometimes I think that there's so much more to that. Because you know what I think? I think when you're truly born again, and you've been stripped of all your pride, and you curse that pride, you remember that pride, what you were, and then your eyes are open and you get around people that are truly born again, and you're handling the word of life, you are, you are, you do tremble. Because I've been there before, you know, where I've been, you, you, you look at the people around you and whatever you were before brings trembling. And if Saul of Tarsus says, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and in fear, great fear and with great trembling. He said, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, he said, I resolved to know nothing. We, I'm not going to keep going over that, you know, and I think. So many of us feel that we need to 
I think we take on a responsibility without realizing it, that it's up to us, that it's truly up to us to get somebody to believe us. But they're not supposed to believe us. They're suppo supposed to believe the words we speak. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. And I'm so glad. Doesn't that give you peace to know it's not about you? God's not hanging a heavy weight on you. Get out there like Pharaoh. You make your bricks, your quota of bricks. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to take away the straw. Beat it. Get out there. That's not God. He doesn't need our help. He, he wants you to talk to people and sometimes not even talking to them. A lot of people are watching you. That's another language. They read you. And, you know, our words that we speak, look, I'll tell you, some people go, I don't know. I, I really like they're, they're so apologetic. And I know it's because they're sincere believers. They say, I know this is somewhere in the Bible about when you're weary, you know, that you're, we should go to the Lord. And I, I just, I don't know where it's written. It's like, so what if you don't know where it's written? So what if you don't know chapter and verse? Say it. You know why? Because the word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder between the soul and the spirit. Even, uh, uh, um, how's it go? Dividing asunder the uh, the uh, the bone and the marrow. Even dividing asunder into the flesh and the soul and the spirit. It is a thought and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sorry about that. That very thing, right? Well, I just want to say it right. To the best that I can. But let's trust, let's trust the Lord. Let's trust Jesus to take it how it comes out. Let the Holy Spirit sink that word into their heart. Because the word of God is not going to come back void. It will accomplish its purpose. And if they do not want to receive those words, there's going to come somebody else. As long as they live on this earth, God's going to keep sending another person to enter into your labors. And then someone's going to enter into their labors as God pursues lives around the world through you and through the person after you. You know, Jesus said in John chapter four, he says, he says, other men labored, but you are entered into their labors. You see, do you understand you're part of a, of a river of eternal words of God? that are flowing from one person to another person, then it's your turn. It's not about you. It's supposed to flow through you. You're only a conduit of the word of God, of the living waters. You're not, we're not reservoirs where we just are, we fill up and then we decide, and then we're like, okay, I'm going to give the water. We are vessels of Jesus Christ. He wants to come in to the lives. He wants to walk into the lives of people. He wants to enter in more fully into everybody's life. And a lot of times being perfect in scripture, the Lord doesn't always want that. Do you ever think about that? Maybe you don't. Because you know why? Sometimes it makes people feel belittled. Sometimes it makes people feel intimidated. Sometimes, mostly, 
we need to just talk to them like little children. You know, I was thinking about today, John, John chapter 24, no, 21, sorry. <laughs> in John 21, let me just hop over there. I was in the Word today, and I, I had finished the book of John. And so he says, in John 21, verse 1, and this came to my, it just spoke to me because I was already thinking about how we should just, you know, Jesus says, humble yourself, become like a little children, become like a little child. And I know I say that often, but maybe because the Lord really thinks Maybe we're not listening. Do you ever think about the fact that there's so much repetition in the Bibles because the holy teacher is a good is a good teacher? Listen to this. After these things, no, 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 no. Let me start with Luke chapter. Let me let me go here. I'm sorry, guys. Hey, I like that it's not perfect, okay? Because uh, let me get, come over here. I want to go over here where it's Matthew. Okay. Well, I guess I don't have my note notes. Yeah, I do. It's right here. Matthew 14, 15 through 20. Okay. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him. Now I want you to hear this when it was evening. His disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals, food. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. You feed them. You give them to eat. And they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. You know, another gospel says that there was a young boy. They said there was a young lad here a boy and he had a little basket and then it was loaves and fishes. Right. And he said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained 12 basketfuls, 12 baskets full. And so I was looking at John chapter 21. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We go also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship, and immediately that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the on the shore, and the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, 
cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals, and there was fish thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was there not a, was the not net not broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then comes and takes bread and gives them, giveth, giveth them and the fish likewise. And I want to stop right there. So we know right now that there were seven disciples that were together. Seven. Remember I talked about the heptatic structure of scripture, which is there is this intelligent design. And there's 600 as I understand it, there are 600, over 600 occurrences of sevens throughout the Old and New Testament. So that shows a divine design. And so there were seven with Jesus. And those seven were there that day when the evening came and they, the people were hungry. They looked and they saw hungry people. And Jesus said, you feed them. And so we understand about that miracle with the, the five loaves and the two fishes, which make up seven. And now here's seven men, but now it's morning and there's a resurrection. And now Jesus tells them to catch fish, but he already had fish and bread that he was cooking, barbecuing on the beach. And he fed them. And you know what I think to myself? It's not written, but I think to myself, I bet there was five loaves and two fishes for those seven men to remind them of that day, but that this is a new day. It's not a day where you look at the sea of humanity because according to scholars, the feeding of the 5,000, they said there was actually 25,000 people there. That's according to some uh, very good scholars that we all love very much. And that fed all those people, that sea of people, that sea of fishes. Because those people needed to get saved later on. The point I'm making here is it's a new day. It's a new day because Christ has been resurrected from the grave. And he feeds them personally. It says, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. At the last supper, it said he taketh bread. Remember? And he takes bread at that point and he says, he breaks it. He looks up and thanks God and he takes it and he breaks it. And he says, take and eat. 
But this is my body, which is broken for you. But this time he taketh bread and gives them, gives it to them with the fish. I believe this wasn't just to feed them. He was giving them a message. And Jesus is giving you one too in this, this little portion of scripture. And let me continue, okay? This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. You know I love you. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And it said, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, you, you know all things. How, how You know all things. Thou know, you know I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. You know, in verse 14, it says this is the third time that Jesus showed himself. And then we go into Jesus asking him three times, do to a person, do you love me? You see, we know that we're pretty much aware that Peter rejected Christ three times. Jesus said, before the car, the rooster crows three times, you're, you're going to deny me twice. So um, he denied him three times and the rooster crowed twice as a sign that that prophecy would be fulfilled. And so he says, three times do you love me? So we understand this is a reinstatement to bring him back in. And also it is a revelation of deity, you know, the Godhead. It wasn't only just a reinstating him back into one of the 12, well, the remaining 11 at this point apostles, but it was also the divinity of God. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's not, do you serve me? Do you serve me? Do you serve me? Are you going to do this for me? Are you going to do this for me? Are you going to do this for me? It's, do you love me? Do you, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Yeah, you know, I love you. Notice how he never said, um, he said, you know, I love you. He said it three times. You, you know, all things, you know, I love you. I don't know. I mean, maybe he was stumbling a little bit right there because he should have just said, I love you with all my heart. Do you know something? We weren't there. And the reason why he said it like that, who really knows? But wouldn't Jesus rather have you tell the truth? But I think 
him saying, you know, all things. I mean, I think maybe him saying, you know, I love you. You know that I love you. You know, all things, you know, that I love you. And he was recognizing his Godhead. And maybe there was some fear after all. I think he was still very brokenhearted that he did reject his friend. And the third time it says Jesus showed himself to his disciples. Don't forget they fled and they left him to strike the shepherd. The sheep will be scattered. They left him. He even told him, he says, all of you are going to leave me this night that the scripture will be fulfilled. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So in a way, his appearing to them three times was in a sense, their own reinstatement with Christ. You know, all of us at some point or another have fled from Christ to save ourselves, And then we've been received in love. You know, when the night was coming and the day it was ending, the people were hungry. But on this side of it, Jesus is resurrected. And I think about that scripture in Luke 24, where they were going, it was after Jesus's resurrection and he was walking with Cleopas and his friends and they came to the point where it says they drew nigh into the village where there they went and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for the day is far spent. And the night is at hand. It's kind of a play on words because in Romans 13, 12, it says, um, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know, I, I, I want to just say a few things about how God wants us to see things in the light of eternal eternity. Because I believe that when we see things eternal and we take the Lord at his word, that there's more freedom to just really be ourselves and how we share the gospel. Look, there's some people, they spend a, a lifetime learning how to be expositors of the Greek, of the Hebrew, classical Greek, Koine Greek, Latin. There's ones that are like historicists. There's over here, they're apologists. And there's people like me and you that are living common everyday lives. Don't be put in a corner. Don't let anybody tell you that you or, or yourself, that you sound dumb, that you sound stupid. You think that apostles had it all right? I'm sure even Paul the apostle says some stuff. Look at me. I'm, you know, he's, he's, he kind of rips on his own self. I'm the least of the least of the apostles. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace of God, you are who you are. God doesn't want you to be like me. God doesn't want you to be like the big expositors. God's not asking you to do that. They are already there. Let them do. That's their calling. That's what they are supposed to do. But those of us, we're like, we are like a big, big body of Christ spread out all over the world. And Satan hates that. He wants to keep everybody bottled up. 
He wants to keep everybody in some religious little perfect dollhouse with little baby furniture, afraid to venture out, afraid to say anything with fear. Like we're not supposed to be afraid. And you know why we're afraid? Because we put all the wrong stock. We're, we're, we need to flip the table because we're looking at ourselves to be the ones that are supposed to be effective. The ones that be able to give an answer. It's like, yeah, you can give an answer. I love the Lord. You know, there's people that have been so hard on me. Hard on you. Because you didn't say it right. That you didn't remember chapter or verse. And then you're hard on yourself and you're beating yourself up. Don't do it. You know, our words have eternal weight. So much eternal weight. Please, everybody, please have an eternal perspective. Take your eyes off of yourself. God doesn't have a huge magnifying glass on every word you are saying. You know, think about what it says in Matthew 12, 26 to 37. Jesus says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And if that's, that has to do with people who wind up at the great white throne judgment, the, the judgment of the wicked dead. Okay, so every idle word that you ever speak as and you die in those sins, Everything you've ever spoken is going to be books. It says, and I saw the dead fall and great stand before him who sat upon a great white throne, whose face the earth and heaven fled from and, and can find nowhere to go. And the books were opened and another book was opened and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in that book. Meaning every act of rebellion, every evil secret thought that was thought, every thought of the heart. Every, every word ever spoken, you will have to give an account. Eight, not you. A person will have to give an account on that day at the great white throne judgment. And God forbid it will not be you. And if God takes it like that, and we're believers, really what manner of people should we be? Don't be religious. Stop being religious. I mean, it's going to be something in eternity because it says the men of Nineveh shall rise and judge him with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. And so here's Jesus standing there in the midst of all, you know, all the people and the Pharisees and everything. And so he's saying, look, I'm right here in your presence. I'm right here. But he's saying, listen, you, you may not accept me. But there is a judgment coming. And when Jesus says the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, he means that he will do that. Jesus doesn't play games. He doesn't, he's, sometimes he gives an allegory. Sometimes he'll speak in parables because he speaks to those whose eyes they have shut and ears that they have closed. That they might not see and believe and, con and, and confess their sins because they've hardened their hearts against the truth. And they refuse to see it. But when Jesus says the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment, it says they'll condemn it because they repented. They repented at the repented at the preaching of Jonas. And we're talking about a wicked heathen nation that said we'll repent. 
It's a hardness of heart. I mean, he said the queen of the South will appear at that judgment too. And you know, it really, people will be in heaven because of what you say. Jesus says, neither pray, pray in 1720 of John, he says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So it's not like we got to come out and peel off scripture to people. Our lives can demonstrate the word of God. Our life, how you treat other people, beginning in your own household. How you treat your neighbors that maybe they're jerks. I'm sorry. Sometimes there are people we've had, we've lived with people across the street for us. And maybe I shouldn't call them jerks, but they were horrible to us. I mean, I can tell you story after story, which I do not want to. But you know what? There are just some people that live to make other people's lives miserable. And I feel more sorry for them than those who take the brunt of their evil. But our words are weighty. Our words are weighty. You know, we've heard that you can't take it back. And, you know, in 1 John 1, 21, I want to bring something up to you. You know, when Jesus, when, when, when we got saved, we're, we're referred to as the children of light. We're children of his house. We're the children of God. We're God's children. If you're not born again, you are not his child. I hear people go, well, you know, the whole world, everybody in the world is a children of God. No, they're not. You're a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, where you will receive the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry out, Abba, Father. But if you're not born again, you're no child of his. But it's interesting because in 1 John 2, 1, he re John refers to the people as little children. And we all talk about if you, you know, Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you'll know wise enter into the kingdom of God. In another place, he says, neither will you see it. But you see, John spent time with Jesus. That's why he refers to them as little children. And like I was saying to you at the beginning of this talk, some of the greatest things, some of my greatest times I ever enjoyed when I was speaking to children, because they're so open to hear the to hear about Jesus. And you could really go to town talking about them. But there's so many adults that go, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. What You know what I mean? Like they're so sarcastic and they're so acidic and they're so caustic and they're so rigid and they're so over Bibleized and their hearts are so callous to the gospel. It cannot even, no wonder why they're not thirsty. Like calluses, no water. There's no pores that go into it. It shuts all the moisture out. And it is a deadness. In 1 John 2, 1, seven, there's seven times he addresses them as little children. And this spoke to me so much because of how I was hearing in my spirit, in my heart, you know, about Paul the Apostle. And he said, when I first came, do you remember? He basically said, I humbled myself like a little child when I came to you. I didn't come to you with all the theological and Greek philosophical and Greek rhetoric. I didn't come with anything. I came as a little child. I came as, and I shook before you. I greatly trembled before you as I only spoke to you about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And is that not the greatest thing that we could talk about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus asks 
Peter and he asks you and he asks me and he asks people every day that read that word. Do you love me? Do you love me? And you know, sometimes people have a hard time with love. You know, there's people out there. They have such a hard time with love. They'll say, I do love God. I do love God. I know in my heart I do. But there's things about me that are finding it so hard to receive his love. I see people around me. I used to have a hard time receiving the love of God because I I didn't, I was so brutalized as a child. So I tried to control the love direction. Okay, I'm in love with God. And because I love God, these are the things I'm going to do for God. And I'm going to speak like this because I love God. But I wouldn't let God near me to love me. Do you follow what I'm saying? Until God came to me one day and he began to heal me and he went, he began to love me because you see that love of God. And I'm going to talk about it. I mean, I was so affected by that woman that said, I don't want to, I'm so sick and tired about hearing about the love of God. And she does need the love of God. But I've been just thinking so much about that love of God. You know, the greatest thing in the world is love. Like Peter, Jesus didn't say, do you serve me? Do you obey me? He said, do you love me? And it's a love that we can't churn up on ourselves. It doesn't work. I've tried it. Trust me. But it's a love that comes down from heaven into you by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you can go all day long trying to share the word of God and trying to share something good, opening doors for people doing this and that. But if you're not if you're if that love of god that that supernatural natural unfathomable love of god enters into you then it's this tedious i want to serve the lord i want to serve the lord but i just want to tell you god looks at you like a little children yeah there's scriptures that talk about little children and they were little children and he used them for an example But when he's speaking seven things addressed to little children, he's addressing them to you. Because we are to become like little children in the way that we share Christ and the way we pray for one another and how we worship God and we worship him as our father in heaven. And that's reality. A day's coming. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to leave your body, your earthly tent. And you're going to stand in heaven one day in that heavenly kingdom, in that heavenly country And you're going to see Jesus Christ face to face and you're going to get around his throne and you're going to worship him. And I guarantee it right now, you're not going to be worshiping him according to strict instructions. And well, we only sing this kind of music, but we only sing this kind of music. The music up there is nothing like the music here. I mean, let's let's stop humanizing everything about heaven. Stop humanizing everything about worship. Stop humanizing everything the way we were, speak to people about the Lord. Stop humanizing everything. We have made it so hard for other people to come to the Lord, and we're the ones blocking it. Living waters flow. Let me share something my husband said to me the other day. He came home from a long drive from work, and he said, you know, I was driving home, and I said to myself, You know, our bodies, our beings, we're like a rock. We stand in the way so much of God. We block so much of what God does. But the beautiful thing is, he 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 said, I had this image of a big rock. And I saw waters flowing down toward it. 
but the waters went around the rock. You see, the living waters flow anyway. They flow. If they have a causeway, they're going to flow. Listen to the seven things addressed to the little children. These are addressed to you. My little children, these things. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the first thing is, my little children, these things I write unto you. Number one, that you sin not. Number two, verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. In verse 18, he says, little children, it is the last time. And as you heard, that Antichrist shall come even now. There are many Antichrists and so on. And then he goes on. I'm just going to say it. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. In chapter three, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed in truth. And again, you are of God, little children. Chapter four, verse three through six. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And finally, in chapter five, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. See, John called them little children and we're referred to that because that's how Jesus calls us. That's what he called us. And that love that's in you, it, Jesus Christ, I just want to just say this. The love of God wants to break forth into your life. He wants to come in more fully. He wants to break down the walls of separation between you and him. He wants to flush out of your body every single thing. That has been in your way all these years because somebody said something negative to you, because somebody rejected you, because somebody divorced you, because somebody gave you up for adoption, because you had a horrible time in school, because perhaps you were overweight and you felt terrible about yourself. The list is endless. But Jesus Christ, that love, just like my husband said, there's a rock, but the water comes around it. Let's see, Christ wants that love to come around you. Let me say this to you right now, because I believe I have God's heart on this. If there's something inside of you that's blocking his way, then in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that God will smash it into smithereens and destroy its hold over you, that you will be able to walk in the love of God because you are a child of love. Your father is the God of love. And he wants to wrap his arms around you. And he wants to protect you with his love because God's love is protective. And he wants to pour out his love upon your children. And he wants you to be a conduit of eternal love. He wants to open up a fountain of love within you. Do you understand? And when you're walking in that, when, it, when, when Paul the Apostle says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of things is love. He said two things. When the disciples were arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God, he took up a little child and he said, unless you become, be converted and become like this little child, he said, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. He said, but the same is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And he, another thing he said was the greatest thing was love. 
and everything you will ever do for God, every word you speak, every cup of cold water you give, every single thing that you do, that you speak and your motives, if it is not in the love of God, and there's something clogging in you, then in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that the Lord break down whatever those walls are and those strongholds and root them out of you even now in the name of Jesus Christ. Even in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for you right now. Fall back into, fall down, fall forward, fall into the arms of Jesus Christ. Because really, love is fearful. Because you've been afraid to let God love you. You've been afraid to let him put his arms around you because you've had a trust issue that you're not really even aware of. But God wants you to know that it's time to turn the tables and let him love you and let and stop. You stop saying how he's allowed to love you. Are you willing to trust the Lord to love you? And that's not some, oh, I just feel like he just loves me. It's like we're talking about a force of power. Even Satan doesn't understand. It's so unfathomable and so full of power. And every miracle that you saw Jesus do in the Gospels is because he was doing everything by the Father, the God of love. Because God was moved in heaven by love to heal every single person and to raise children, a boy from the dead, a, a son, a woman of name, and to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead and to heal a leper who was in his last stages near death. And a woman bent over and a man lay next to the pools of water that could not walk. A man born blind from his mother's womb. A man with an impediment of speech. A blind man, the deaf and dumb, the, the gathering demoniac that was naked running around the tombs. And no one can restrain him. But Jesus healed him and said, go home to your family and to your friends. And everything that happens is because of love of God. So you feed the lambs. Do you understand me? Go forth and you feed them. Don't wait. Don't just say, well, let me send you a video. You feed them. You feed them. You feed them. What you have, you feed them. Just offer it up to the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you've given me. And now I give to them. And everything you do, you do it in the Lord, giving it unto the Lord. The Lord takes it from there. And you're not to think and look back for another second. You feed them. And do it with joy. And do it being constrained by his love. Maranatha. Maranatha.